Welcome to the Bioinnovation Spotlight at Life Science Org, where we shine a light on the next big thing. I'm your host, Dr. David Kirk, and I'll be talking to the people behind early stage translational life science across Europe, whose innovative research today may be the blockbusters and game-changing technologies of tomorrow. This podcast is produced for Life Science Org, a community where European life science CEOs, founders, and investors can connect, share, and engage with each other. Life Science Org members get exclusive early access to these episodes, as well as a network of their peers, weekly expert talks, and insightful sessions with other leaders in life science. Join the conversation at www.lifescienceorg.com. In this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Daniel Ives, CEO of Shift Bioscience. Shift Bioscience is based in the Babraham Research Campus in Cambridge, UK, and is supported by Accelerate at Babraham. They are developing small molecule therapeutics for looking at age-related diseases, ultimately with the aim to increase the healthy human lifespan and potentially reverse aging itself. Daniel, it's great to have you on the show. Tell me a little bit about yourself and your background. Great to be here, David. Thank you. Sure. So in 2008, um, it was, you know, I basically had a decision to make, which is, do I go into industry? I just finished my degree. Um, or do I continue studying? And sort of the world made a decision for me because there was a financial crisis. Uh, all of the jobs that I wanted to do um, evaporated. Um, and the only things that were left on the market were just sort of dead end jobs. Um, so I sort of made the decision to just do what was most interesting. And at the time, um, a book had just been published called Ending Aging by uh, Aubrey de Grey, who's a Cambridge geneticist, uh, this is sort of quite a uh, strong advocate for stopping and stopping aging and reversing aging. Um, I read this book. I was completely captured by it. Um, and Aubrey said that you know one of the most important you know important things to address was uh, mitochondria, or the, the mitochondria going wrong in aging. I basically bought into that. It was no more sophisticated um, than that. And I applied to a, a sort of a project in Cambridge, basically looking at um, mitochondria and how to fix them as they go wrong. Um, and that's where it all started. But it was really my interest in aging that got me interested in mitochondria. So what problem are you looking at solving with Shift Bioscience? So aging, some people say it's a big problem. Some people say it's, you know, it's, it's natural. It's something that's been with us a very long time. And we should just get on with our lives and not worry about this, this big problem. Um, but it's a big problem in a number of ways. So mostly in an economic way. So by 2040, this is sort of an astonishing fact, um, over a third of GDP will be swallowed by healthcare costs. And half of that is the over 55. So they disproportionately uh, suck up those costs. And just, just for some um, sort of proportionality, the US tech, tech sector is 10% of GDP and defense is 3%. So you think of, say, the US budget uh, for defense is, is enormous. Uh, the budget for healthcare is over 10 times the defense budget. So this is a huge amount of spend. I mean, basically, it's a third of productivity going towards healthcare, uh, and that's just unsustainable. You know, society needs that money to do lots of other things, right? Not just, uh, you know, keep ourselves um, healthy. And it's, it's a product of us living longer. This is, um, you know, it's, it's an unintended consequence of healthcare is that you create more expensive healthcare down the line. So it's a good thing, but now we've got a bigger problem. Um, and there was a great quote from a family friend recently, which was, people aren't living longer, they're dying slower. So the extra, the extra life they're getting, just it's not high quality life, right? It's like, 
it's just a slow decline. I mean, there's certain diseases where this is very obvious, you know, like particular Alzheimer's, right? It's just you're slowly um, losing yourself. Um, but but that's actually quite a quite an apt, you know, quite an apt phrase, dying slower. And I think I think nobody wants to die slower. They want to have as much healthy life as possible. Not a small task tackling aging. How are you trying to solve this and increase the healthy human lifespan? So it's not it's not well appreciated that there are um, there are sort of paradigms or techniques to reverse aging. They exist already, but the, it, this is very early very early science at the moment. So there's a, a paradigm called Yamanaka factors. So these factors were originally discovered for their ability to basically make stem cells out of skin cells or make stem cells out of any cells in your body um, but but what was noticed very early on was that these these stem cells were basically rejuvenated so after take some skin cells um, you know from you um, and you've got a certain age and then I basically create stem cells but those stem cells don't exhibit any signs of aging whatsoever they look basically like brand new stem cells um, and it's, it turns out that those those stem cells are indeed rejuvenated so you can basically take a cell um, from, you know, even a, a super centenarian, which is ab above 110 years old, and, and, and bring that cell down to age zero. And we, we, we've got a good idea of this uh, now using these, these high accuracy aging biomarkers called aging clocks. So they say it's age zero. Um, the problem about this technique is that by, by moving towards the direction of stem cells, um, it's, it's a cancer promoting um, you know, it's basically cancer-promoting pathway. So uh, you can use these, use this, use this technique to rejuvenate, but you run the risk of cancer, um, which is about as severe a side effect as you can imagine. So there's there's a great need to separate the cancer-causing pathways from the rejuvenating pathways, um, and that's where we come in. We've basically got a technique where we can deconvolute these two things. Yeah, we've got the the good bit and we've got the bad bit, and we can separate the two. Um, and that's something we're working very hard on and, uh, you know, something we're basically moving ahead with right now. Um, we've been able to sort of separate these two processes. And now we've got a big list, basically, of safe rejuvenation genes. And we want to put as many of these genes on the list into a cell and, and prove that is the case. Like, these genes are as exciting as we think they are. You mentioned you're deconvoluting the cancer pathway from the rejuvenation pathway. How closely tied are they? It looks like we can we can achieve a full separation. Um, I mean, we we won't know until we do some really robust um, experiments in a dish, like unequivocally show that there aren't any cells that are tipped into cancer. It only takes one pre-malignant cell in your body to be tipped in the direction of cancer, um, and then you've got the beginning of a problem. Right? It starts with one cell, and it cancer becomes bigger. Then you get metastases. So you've got to make sure that not even a single cell slips through the net. Um, but it looks it looks good so far. The genes that we've got in our list don't have any link to to pluripotency or or the type of cancer that um, that we're worried about. So it looks good. But we need to you know we need to face the music. We need to basically you know test the metal. Are these genes as good as good as we think they are? Yeah. So I, I'll I'll tell you sort of a little bit more of the story. So we we we, we launched with an initial focus on on mitochondria um, and specifically. Uh, you know, trying to revive the mitochondria to slow down age-linked diseases, right? Which was, that was that was sort of a new area that these uh, this organelle was having a big impact in diseases that weren't, you know, known known to be caused by mitochondria. So we looked at Parkinson's, we looked at other things, um, 
But something we did very, very early on um, was to embrace a new technology called epigenetic aging clocks. So th these were the first accurate biomarkers for aging. And the reason that we wanted to use these biomarkers was to test um, our assumption, which was mitochondria was important for aging. You know, what we were doing, which was trying to reduce these mitochondrial DNA mutations, and we had a therapeutic, it could affect the clock. Um, and what we found was that the, um, the clock was completely unaffected. So we, yeah, this mouse, even though it looked old, uh, the clock said it was just just the age that it should be. It, you know, it, it, the aging hadn't been accelerated. So there's a complete disconnect between the appearance of the mouse and what this clock said. And you might say that's, you know, that, that makes no sense, but um, this clock represents physiological aging or whatever the, you know, the source of physiological aging is. And in this mouse, you've got a different source of aging. Um, and it's it, the conclusion is that you've got many, you know, basically sources of aging that create a common phenotype, but those sources aren't necessarily connected with each other. So mitochondrial DNA mutations aren't necessarily connected with the clock. Um, and for us, that was that sort of placed our therapeutic amongst a bigger picture. So you know, we could have a good effect on mitochondrial DNA mutations, um, which cause rare mitochondrial diseases, um, but that that wouldn't be the best tool or best lever um, for affecting aging processes that are driving, say, the epigenetic aging clock. So, you know, we, we still have a program ongoing um, but the, for mitochondria, but that's actually directed at rare mitochondrial diseases. Yeah. So, um, you know, that technology that we have is best placed in rare mitochondrial diseases. And what we've, you know, what we've got now is a new technology um, that where we can deconvolute the rejuvenating um, properties of, you know, uh, this this paradigm of these uh, Yamanaka factors that create stem cells. We've got technology to basically extract the rejuvenation genes from that, um, which is which is going to be a much better lever for reversing aging itself, um, which is what this epigenetic clock represents. So two two slightly different technologies, but for us the future really is. Um, about you know this this uh, this new technology where we extract the rejuvenation from this, this this sort of dangerous paradigm, and that's where we're going in the future. Yeah. yeah. So you're not just trying to get that uh, de-aged phenotype. You're trying to physically turn back that clock, that marker of aging. Yes, that's correct. So we we wanna we wanna you know our our definition of rejuvenation is that the clock is basically reset to zero, which is our best mark of aging but we also want to see other metrics that aren't the biomarker like restored to youthful levels so like youthful function um if you're at the organism level or youthful organelle function like mitochondria um basically performing their duties um as they would in a in a young person so we, we use a we use a number of corroborating measures and um, you don't want to be too dependent on one measure because there's always a false positive that you've got to worry about so if you've got more than one measure um you can be more confident where do you think shift will be with this technology in the next 12 months? So we, we have a list of genes um, that we predict can rejuvenate a cell system without activating sort of cancer-causing pathways. So we've, we've done a lot of bioinformatic work establishing this. We're very um, happy to see known aging drivers in this list. So some of our genes on their own are sufficient to uh, drive accelerated aging. So it's, 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 that doesn't prove that our list is the be-all be all and end-all of rejuvenation, but it's a very good early sign. 
So what we want to do is take this list, which is you know, basically in the computer and, and, and put that into the dish. So we want to basically put um, a large number of genes into a, into a vector and put that vector into a cell. So the cell is now expressing these genes. And then we just want to measure it over a, a short period of time to see if it rejuvenates. So rejuvenation is, is quite rapid. So um, in the cell line we want to use, we can rejuvenate um, from uh, quite an advanced stage to zero in about six days. Um, so, so we basically just want to test this list like as soon as possible. Um, and in 12 months time, um, we, we hope to have, have the first um, collective of genes that is sufficient for rejuvenation. Depending on which of those genes is, you know, is responsible for the rejuvenation, um, we, we will target one disease over the other. So the biology is really going to tell us which disease we should target. So for instance, if some of the biology that helps us rejuvenate is 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 linked to a rare disease yeah it makes sense to target that rare disease because the biology is shared you know between rejuvenation and these diseases um you know if if the um, biology tells us it's an age-linked disease um you know that that yeah the biology is linked to an age-linked disease and rejuvenation that's the direction we'll go so we're staying agnostic on what the disease target will be until we know what this core biology um, of rejuvenation is um, and then we can basically be you know, be very precise and run the best chance of success. So, you know, rare diseases have a lot of, of advantages as far as drug development is concerned because it's a greater clinical need. Usually there isn't a drug available to these populations. So you get an accelerated approval process and subsidies and things like that. So it's, you know, it's, it's a very good path for drug development, but we, we don't want to um, second guess the science or the biology, you know, which is a bit cart before the horse. We want to let the biology tell us what the best path is um, and yeah we might go the rare disease approach but we might go uh, sort of a larger uh, a disease that affects a larger po portion of the population we might have to go that approach if the biology tells us excellent i think that's a nice hopeful note to end on thank you so much for joining me on the show daniel and i look forward to seeing what you and shift get up to in the future you're welcome david i enjoyed it very much if you are an early stage life science company or translational project ready to spin out and you're based in europe you can get on the show by going to lifescienceorg.com forward slash bioinnovation. You can get future episodes at lifescienceorg.com. Thank you all for listening and see you next time.